Sorry, what did I miss? Everything. Anglophies. Gettle's gone. Alina, are you fake texting? It's super important. Oh, I might as well just growl, that'd be about it. I have failed the sisterhood. I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. We're not here to judge. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode 16.5 of Anglophies. This is not a real episode, so you can keep drinking your beers or whatever. God knows I am. I'm Raiden, by the way. I'm Alina. <laughs> we saw Coralianus last night. We did. And it was amazing. Not together, but we did we tweet each other at the intervals. <laughs> We were actually tweeting during the interval. <laughs> Hiddleston, Hiddleston? Hiddleston, Hiddleston, Hiddleston? Hiddleston. Hiddleston. <laughs> and so we thought that we would take a few minutes of our time and a few minutes of your time and tell you why you should haul your asses out to see one of the encore presentations. And we will link the National Theatre Live website so you can check out venues and see what encore presentations may be available in your area. So, Raiden, I have a question. Yes. Is this the first time you saw um, a theatre broadcast in cinema? Because it was the first time for me. I, yes. I've seen, like, on video, on TV plays but not in a theater and i just the reason i bring this up is i actually thought it was interesting that it really was a different experience from watching a movie in a movie theater this really felt fairly close to see to go into uh, a play theater and seeing a play uh especially as you know that it's being broadcast live and i actually really enjoyed it i really enjoyed it too and i want i want to give total props to National Theatre Live for bringing plays that people who are not in London would get a chance to see and so people all over the world can see these productions and we got the interview with the director in the interval that was really cool all those little extras yeah that was very cool Uh, Uh, this this has actually been a week of classic theater experiences for me because I did see the Royal Ballet's performance of Giselle on Monday, also in a movie theater. <laughs> they were actually that was one of the things they were advertising before the movie started, um, and it was weird because I have seen Giselle as a little kid uh, back in Russia, and so the music was familiar, but I actually remember nothing about it except the fact that I know I have seen it. So as the the trailer's playing and I'm going there what is this how do I know this it's not Cinderella it's not and then they were like Giselle I'm like ah the one I don't remember right <laughs> yeah no it was amazing and um Asapova who's a prima ballerina dancing Giselle is a goddess but that's not what this special episode is about no but she's a goddess <laughs> I just want to say. <laughs> Before we get to the dessert part of the episode, I also, want to talk... <laughs> I also do want to talk about the theater itself because uh, it was Domtar or Domnar? Uh, I'm going to embarrass myself in a second here. Um, Donmar, Donmar Warehouse. Ooh, it was really interesting, wasn't it? Yeah. No, it was a great space. 
so what it is, and they actually play a little video introducing you to the theater, is it used to be a banana warehouse. It was in a market district. Um, so it's a concrete, you know, building, large space. And this, the stage, actually, when you see, and it's only really, you can row, line up five actors if you put, like, a foot between them. So it's not that big. Mm-hmm. Uh, really it's, yeah, it's that concrete square, and there's a cinder block wall behind it, and there's no set decorations. There's some props, which were chairs. And there's a ladder. And there's a ladder. And they put graffiti on the wall and they use some paint on the floor. So it was, oh, I would have loved to actually be in that theater. Mm-hmm. Because I can imagine that the atmosphere they create is really unique to that space. Yeah. The costumes also, um, before I went, a coworker of mine asked me, oh, is it one of those where it's modern dress? And I said, well, I don't think so. It was, what it was, was modern dress with Roman accents. Yeah. Didn't you get the feeling that it was almost like, oh, they put it, it's something they put together in somebody's living room. But they're all professional actors, so it's fabulous. A little bit, a little bit, with better lighting than a living room. Mm. Uh, No, the, the technical, like the stagecraft was just, made me very happy. Very happy. What we're saying is, if you're a theater geek, you probably want this experience. Yeah, you're you're gonna enjoy this. Um, now I I actually went into this pretty blind. I mean, I knew it was one of Shakespeare's Romanish plays, and I knew it was a tragedy that ended up having a much lower body count than I expected. Hmm. Um. And that's pretty much all I knew about it. You know what I knew about it? Shakespeare's most homoerotic play. So, boy, did that yes, do it, it justice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I I have mentioned before about, you know, every every nerds terrified dream of going to a Shakespeare play and having no idea what the hell is going on and the early parts of the plot especially since the space was so neutral I I didn't always wasn't always too sure exactly where we were so they were yelling about the wars and how Coriolanus, before he got the name, was an awesome soldier, and then all of a sudden he was back at war again, and I didn't, wasn't sure what the hell was going on. I figured it out though, so it's fine. The, it does help a little bit, I think, that they do some pre-show, um, and these I think are pre-pre-recorded interviews. Oh, so they yeah, set yeah. that up. You know, Tom Hiddleston talks about what kind of character he is, and Mark Gatiss is there. So I think that those probably would help anybody who came in really blind, because at least they knew it was. Oh, it's about kind of a soldier in politics. Yeah. So they can um, orientate themselves a little bit. But you reminded me of when um, the National Theatre representative interviewing the director talked about how she was at a matinee filled with young school kids. Well, not young. I'm, I'm assuming teenagers. Yeah. Uh, and how she saw that maybe they were probably there for some of the famous names, but they seemed to really love the play. Mm-hmm. So, because the actors are so good that they really do convey, you know, the bits that are funny are funny and the bits that are intense are very intense. You can't argue with a craft. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Um, and 
Tom Hiddleston, the the theater actor, is a very different animal than Tom Hiddleston, the the screen actor. They're both amazing creatures, but it's it it's just it's a total pleasure watching someone who is that good at his craft do his thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh. So good. So good. The, this was a very small company, but they all did such a great jo- job. Mark Gatiss as Menenius was so funny. <laughs> Consistent laughs. Uh, for Just to kind of draw a picture for our listeners, uh, because the company was small, what they did is the really major roles. So Tom Hiddleston as Corellianus, Mark Gatiss as Menenius, and the role of Volumnia the mother and Virgilia the wife. So those are, and some of the other generals, are played by actors who are unique to the role. But then a lot of the secondary roles, particularly, you know, just citizens on the street and really kind of nameless soldiers, there was just a rotating group of actors playing all of those. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a diverse company, mm-hmm. which, and they definitely put women in roles that were not specifically written for women. So, I mean, that's a kind of constant complaint with Shakespeare is that the female roles, there aren't that many. And making a couple more of these roles four women is definitely I think a good a good step. Um, the director of this production is also a woman. And she was so charming in her interview. <laughs> yeah. oh, I really loved her. I would love to see more of her work now. Really, She really did charm me. Josie Rourke yeah. is the name of the director. Uh, I'm so happy for this production and for her uh, because they uh, during the interview they mentioned how the day one the, pre- uh, the premiere tickets were completely sold out. People were sleeping in the streets. It was that kind of uh, buzz about it. And I think it's completely deserved. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I think that it's legitimate to say that a lot of people bought tickets because it's Tom Hiddleston. It's who's huge. Yeah, absolutely. Who is huge. And it's Mark Gatiss, who is a little bit less huge, but he's still pretty big. Yeah. And... It's a total score for this company to get get um, Tom and Mark into this lesser-known Shakespearean play that I think is incredibly relevant, especially right now with like the nature of democracy um, being as fucked up as it is, because it is. Let's they actually real, brought that up during the director interview. You know, was it any particular recent events that's that inspired this? And she was saying how well it's kind of a play that almost that's almost always relevant mm-hmm. because politics are always relevant. Politics are always relevant, and I I've been on the record before saying that the great thing about democracy is that anybody can get involved. The terrible thing about democracy is anybody can get involved, and that's one of the running themes through the show is that once the people start getting their voices, then sometimes they do really stupid and fucked up things with it. But is that better or worse than having a tyranny? An excellent question sometimes. Um, but 
what I was saying before that having having these draws to this lesser known play is absolutely a spot on casting and shrewd business decision um, and not only casting people who are well known and who are totally going to be audience draws, but are also incredibly good at their craft. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, good decisions on on all dimensions. And of course, the actors they cast in the other parts, the the lesser known names, they they held their own. I mean, everybody was great. Uh, obviously, Volumnia is a really big role. Mm-hmm. Deborah really Finlay, meaty, meaty female role. Oh my god! Um, and she has a, a lot of focus on her during certain scenes. And I think, obviously, you know, it's another one of those roles that the play can fall apart if that's not the right role. So Deborah mm-hmm. Finley, uh, great in that. I found it interesting that Virgilia, although a smaller role, was uh, somebody that the director wanted to work with so much. And it's oh. Danish or Swedish? Danish, right? The actress, uh, Birgitta Hjort Sorensen. Um, it it the sound like she didn't go into too much details just her work, but it basically sounded like she specifically so sought out Birgitta for the role. Um, and uh, Elliot Levy, who plays one of the Tribunes of the People, was somebody I recognized. I'm looking at his credits right now. Uh, he's got TV and kind of film credits that probably means a few uh, a few other people will be kind of, oh, it's, hey, it's that guy. I know that face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and this is something Kaylee mentioned during our main episode 16, uh, Alfred Enoch, who played uh, Dean Thomas in Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. He's taller than everybody by like a foot. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because Dean Thomas in the books was supposed to be tall. <laughs> Uh, he, he's on the stage here as well as one of Karelianus' uh, lieutenants. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hadley Frazier plays Aphidius, which is another role. He doesn't have quite as much uh, playtime as uh, Volumnia, but because he has to play directly opposite Karelianus, especially in that scene uh, of reconciliation, he does really have to kind of match up mm-hmm. in intensity. So that was... Uh, I. Okay, I don't know English accents that well, but I really, I don't know if it was kind of a coincidence in the actors they cast, but Ophidius and his lieutenants seem to be speaking in a, in a kind of particular regional accent. Yeah, they were, they were very northern. That's kind of what I thought. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know whether they just happened to cast a couple of actors um, and just put them that happened to be like in the shared scenes, or maybe they were specifically asked to have a different accent than the Romans to maybe just reinforce um, that reality that they're kind of a warring tribe almost uh, thing because this was not a united Italy. This, these were really different city states, but almost like different nations at that point. Um, it was just something that I picked up on. I, I think that was deliberate. I, I don't I don't know the actors involved specifically, um, but I, I think that was a deliberate choice for those exact reasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Uh, now, apparently, there there are some critics. Yes, the Jefferson Tumblr are true. There is a scene in which Tom Hiddleston takes off his shirt and essentially takes a shower on stage. Now, apparently, there are some critics who have been going around saying, oh, well, that's just for the MTV crowd, which proves a couple of things. One, they don't actually know what the MTV crowd is because there really isn't one anymore. <laughs> no one actually watches MTV. But <laughs> also, I don't think they actually watched the play because that that was not pure fan service. That was... That was pure agony and pain on stage. When they ah. were doing close-ups of the scars, not even during the play, but before when they were showing the makeup making them and like that yeah. gooey red fake blood, and it was actually viscerally un- unpleasant. Gross. Yes. Oh, so gross. Good job, makeup people. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Good job. Um, Josie Moore called it one of Shakespeare's more visceral plays and a lot of it is about you know the scars and how Volumnia the mother is so intensely proud of every scar in his body oh no he has to come home with more scars that's what makes him a great soldier that are raised yeah their relationship was weird it's very <laughs> Manchurian candidate yeah yeah I, I think that they did a good job of demonstrating like the the whys and wherefores of their relationship. Also with the wife going, Oh wow, this is a fucked up family I married into. Awesome. Great. Um let, let let's talk about um Korea Latus and Aphidius. Because that's that's a really interesting scene and I think it's just it has to have somebody interpreted because when you just read words and what did Shakespeare mean? Because the speech and here's let me paint a scene for the viewers. So well, Coriolanus um, is exiled from Rome. He decides, fuck everybody. I'm gonna seek out my mortal enemy, my nemesis, and you know life sucks now. I'm just gonna author offer him my throat. Offer him my sword. Yeah. <laughs> my my life or my belly. Like, do with me what you will. So he's kneeling in front of Aphidius, and Aphidius embraces him, and there's a speech about how I loved the woman I married, and this is still the happiest day of my life. And in this particular staging, they actually have the yeah. kiss. Yeah. That happened. <laughs> so... Uh-huh. I don't, nobody knows, of course, what Shakespeare meant. Maybe he kind of figured, oh, those crazy romance with their orgies. <laughs> I don't, this, I really, I feel like with some of the costuming and the framing of that scene, we were supposed to believe that Aphidius um, can, is sexually attractive to, attracted to Coriolanus. Well, who wouldn't be? <laughs> but it seems, I really feel that way. I feel like you... I feel like that's the the inference we were supposed to draw. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like. I mean, I don't have a problem with that reading. I just, I and I do think that when you have this play and you have the scene, the as a director, you just have to make a stand somewhere, right? Like you can. I don't think. I think the bad directing choice would be to just kind of flatly have the actors read it and leave it up to the viewer, to the audience. 
I think the director's vision has to be clear on that point. And I think it, it came through here. And like, that's what's going to make the scene intense, which it has to be, no matter how you frame it. And that's what's going to yeah. make the, the, the play great. And in some ways, I think the choice um, makes the following scenes uh, and decisions Ophidius makes even more intense and kind of more emotionally invested. Mm-hmm. More invested with emotions, I guess I should say. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think, I think Tom played that as a, oh, I, I was not expecting this. Um, and then when you add that in with Menenius, 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 um, trying to go and talk to Coriolanus and it's like uh he's my lover but the thing is that one I think is used in a way before lover actually meant sexual lover yeah I really think that that is straightforward when uh making love was not yet a euphemism for sex mm-hmm. and when lover would really mean just somebody who has affection for me yeah so i think to a modern audience that could be a stop moment but i haven't thought about it a little bit i don't think it's meant to be and i think they just didn't want to change the text all that much Sometimes the English gets outdated, and it's kind of like when you read Jane Austen and Pride and Prejudice, and uh, Mr. Bennett goes, uh, he simpers and smiles and makes love to us all. I'm impressed that you have that quote just off the top of your head. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so the short of this is, people, is that this is an incredible production, and being able to see it for was it 20 bucks 25 i think it's it would have been 23 in canada except i had a gift card so it was like 13 even better yeah yeah i mean it's it's a lot cheaper than a plane ticket to london if you're not in london i don't know how many of you actually are in london and sleeping out on the street for same day tickets which is what other people are doing and the seats are going to be universally good. Um, yeah. Totally worth your time. Absolutely. Also, it is pretty long. It's nearly three hours long. But there is an, inter- an interval, so you get to go pee. Or, you know, tweet your friends. <laughs> oh, as a follow-up, because it also kind of runs commercials for the other upcoming broadcasts, we were both decided, oh, we're so seeing King Lear. We're totally seeing King Lear. It's got Simon Russell Beale in it, who uh, some of you may remember as Falstaff from The Hollow Crown. And it looks intense. It does look intense. I mean, King Lear's intense. Uh, and directed ideally, by Sam Mendes. Yeah. Ideally, King Lear is intense. If it's not intense, you've done something terribly wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I just thought it was a slightly amusing because I, I'm pretty sure during our podcast we all agreed that that's kind of the play we haven't seen staged recently and why wouldn't they? It might have been that or Othello but I know we, talk, we mentioned how we haven't seen it. Right, so see what happens. We say a thing on the podcast and then it comes true. Magic. So 
where is our tenant Tate Much Ado DVD universe? Where is it? Just putting that out there. So this has been episode six. Do you have anything else left to say? No. I think at this point I just want them to go see it. Go see it, people. Yeah. Just go see it. You won't regret it. You will not regret it at all. Good night! (laughs) Bye! You have been listening to Anglophies, a made-of-fail production.